excited this morning. Well, it is really, really good to be with you. I want to wish all my fellow fathers happy Father's Day. We are, uh, we're, it, it's, I don't know, Father's Day, I always, so, I always think it's funny, because like, you know, Christmas is not about, you know, it's not about gifts, it's not about, you know, celebrating you, it's about Jesus, right? Um, but then I always think, well, my birthday, I don't have to feel so bad about celebrating me and getting gifts on my birthday, because that's kind of the, the deal there, is right, my birthday. And I feel the same about Father's Day. So I, it comes to Father's Day, and I was in there this morning, and I was, at the, I was at the sink, and I realized, oh, hey, I don't have to do the dishes today. It's Father's Day. I don't, uh, there's no chance of me having to do that. It was just really great. So anyway, so dads, enjoy your day of uh, hanging out and eating meat uh, or whatever it is that you get to do today with your family. Really, really exciting. And I am thankful for the fathers that we have a part of Hope Bible Fellowship, and I know you all uh, are uh, going to enjoy uh, your father's as well, even though we sometimes occasionally make bad jokes that may be categorized as dad jokes. And so uh, my favorite one, my favorite dad joke, actually, just to kind of get thing, get the ball rolling on a good foot here, is I was talking to my friend, and he said to me, he said, what rhymes with orange? And I said, no, it doesn't. So there you go. Happy Father's Day. Anyway, I want to welcome those who are joining us online as well. Uh, reach out to us if there's any way we can help you. Make sure we have your contact info. Uh, today, what we're going to do is we're actually going to begin a brief four-week series through four of the Psalms, uh, four chapters in the Psalms. Now, initially, I had planned for us to move from the Sermon on the Mount, which is what the series we just finished after about five or six months going through the sermon. So I had figured on us going from that directly into the book of Micah, the prophet Micah in the Old Testament, but it seems like God had some other plans. So we're going to push that off further in the year and cover a few Psalms over the next few Sundays. And during that time, my family and I are actually going to be able to take some vacation time, which I am totally excited about. And uh, you're going to have an opportunity to hear from a couple of guest speakers starting next week with A.J. Katzberg, who will be preaching next week. So I'm really excited for that. So... And then, Tim, and then Tim Bivens will be with you uh, the following Sunday. So really, really excited for, for you guys, for those guys to be able to spend some time with you. Now, my goal in our short series through these four Psalms is that you will see the consistency of God's message throughout Scripture, through the whole Bible, and, and we'll see connections through the book of Psalms that ultimately point to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, I'm pretty excited to see how all of this goes. So be praying with us over the next few weeks. I'm sure many of you have spent time reading through the Psalms. Many times, if sometimes you go to your Bible, and, and if you're going through something, you're just, you're like, man, I'm going through something, and maybe you already did your Bible plan, or maybe you're not in a Bible plan at the time, uh, which I, I would highly encourage you to be, but, and you're like, man, I need to read something. I'm just, I'm, I'm, You've got a feeling of maybe it's maybe you're going through a, just a sad time. Maybe you're going through a joyous time. Maybe it's it's a hard time, and you're not sure what where what what to do, what to read for encouragement. And many of you have found that you'll pop open the Psalms and find encouragement there. Um, the author today does something in Psalm one, and we're, that's where we're going to be today. Sorry, Psalm one. So if you want to open your Bible or scroll on your device to Psalm one, stick your thumb there. 
the author does something that's quite common in Psalms in the first Psalm. He makes themes of pointing the way to blessing, but also warning about God's divine judgment. And the words used in this chapter, in fact, they ought to remind us of some earlier words in the Old Testament and point us. So what we can do is we can see the wording used in Psalm 1, and we can see it pointing to other things in the Old Testament, as well as pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. Now, this psalm we consider to be a wisdom psalm. So there are psalms of ascent, there are psalms uh, that, are, that are worshipful psalms, there are psalms written by, of course, David wrote a good, a good number of the psalms. But this psalm in particular is what we would refer to as a wisdom psalm, and it spotlights God's Word in particular. And His blessings are, are who, uh, excuse me, His blessings are on those who are focused on the Word and obedient to it, and His judgment is upon those who rebel against it. So, just follow along as we read from the Word of the Lord in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand. Father, as we come, I must confess, um, I must confess, God, that, that I'm weak, I'm tired. God, I can't do any of this without you. And God, this is about you and this is for you. And I just pray that I would decrease and that you would increase, God. And God, I pray that you'd bring us all to that recognition, that realization that apart from you, we can do nothing. And God, it is only by your spirit, by your power that we can, uh, that we can trust you. Uh, God, that we can understand your word. God, that we can apply it to our lives. And I pray this morning that we would not just see you in your word and not just understand you in your word, God, but that we would uh, be doers and not just hearers. But you would help us to take your word and to apply it like we would paint on a wall to our lives. Make it useful and make our lives more beautiful because of your word, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, the first thing we want to notice here is that this passage, there's, there's a division of two ways. Now, that may sound familiar if you've been with us for a few weeks, so just hold on, kind of buckle the seatbelts. We're going we're gonna to connect those dots in just a minute. There's a, the way of the blessed man or the blessed man, depending on how you want to pronounce that. And then on the other hand, you've got the wicked. Now, if you've been with us again for a few weeks, this, of course, sounds familiar and maybe cause you to lean in a little bit. Because this sounds eerily similar to what we read in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount just the last couple of weeks as we finished covering that. The two ways, the narrow way, the wide way. There's the blessed way, there's the, the wicked way. There's the way that is wide and easy and lots come into it, and then there is the narrow way and the narrow gate which, uh, that is straight and more few follow it. 
And here we see there's a connecting thread through all of Scripture. Scripture's, so the wrong way to approach Scripture would be to pull one verse out and just base your entire theology on one verse, right? You, what you've got to do is you've got to take the whole counsel of God. That's why we study the whole Word. It's why uh, we want here, uh, to hear preach to us the entire, the whole counsel of God. But let's get to the first man presented in this passage. The first man is the man who is blessed. The first man that's presented is, is, is the guy that's blessed. And I would say man here, man, I would also say woman as well, okay? When the Bible uses man, it's like when we say mankind, okay? So women, you're not off the hook here, okay? All right, so, but the, the guy that's blessed or the man that's blessed, the woman that's blessed is both directed by the Word of God and delights in the Word of God. So not only does he take his direction from the Word of God, that his plans uh, come from God's plans within the Word of God, but his delight, what he delights in is the Word of the Lord either. Now the word that is translated blessed here is a Hebrew term, and that Hebrew term describes someone who is privileged or happy. And it's commonly used in wisdom literature to indicate a fortunate or a privileged person. So if we look at some of the other uh, literature in Scripture, Job 5.17 says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves, therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. So there's that word blessed, that privileged or happy, but here it's in reference to someone who's being disciplined or reproved by God, but that that person is blessed or privileged. In Proverbs 3.13 it says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. So here we have that privileged and happy is the one who finds wisdom, who gets understanding. And then in Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen, it says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So we've got the one who fears the Lord here also we find is this privilege, this blessed, this happy person. Now the Hebrew word, by the way, is the word asher. And it's, it's where we get our son's name, the tribe of Asher. That's the word. It means happy or privileged, blessed. There's a Greek equivalent to this word. You know, so the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament, primarily in Greek, maybe some Aramaic, but primarily Greek, right? Now, there's a Greek word that is equivalent to this word Asher from the Hebrew. I know you guys didn't think you were getting a language lesson this morning, but this is important. There's a Greek equivalent is a word called makarios, and that's the word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So and if you want to go back and re-listen to that, you can go on our website or our podcast feed and go back and re-listen uh, to those messages on the Beatitudes. But the blessed man in verse 1 of Psalm 1 is described as not doing three things, and these are key, okay? So he's described as not doing, not being after three different things in verse 1 there. These three functions that are listed here, I want to key in on those, and I want to key in on those words in particular for just a moment. And the words I want to key in on are counsel, way, and seat. So if you want to jot those down, counsel, way, and seat. So keep your eyes kind of and your ears peeled for those. So the first thing it says regarding counsel is that the, the blessed man, the happy, the privileged man, walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked. 
That is to say, the blessed man avoids acting, excuse me, the blessed man avoids thinking like the wicked. He doesn't seek the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't walk in their counsel, in their thinking, in their way of thought. His desires and his thoughts are are directed by the word of God, not by the wicked. Knowing that Jesus transforms the way we think as well as the way we act. And that those, those who walk with the Lord should be seeking advice, not from the wicked, because their entire base for their life is different. Instead of being directed in our thoughts by the wicked, we're to be directed by the Word of God. It's always boggled my mind how uh, well-meaning Christians, well-meaning Christians, okay, uh, will seek advice from worldly sources that are specifically based on uh, ungodly thoughts and ideas and worldviews in particular. That's always boggled my mind. It was made really apparent to me one day. Um, I, several years ago, was serving as a youth pastor in a church, youth minister, and um, I was really, really struggling uh, with some depression, and, and things were not going well in my life, okay? And uh, my pastor, my wife had talked to my pastor, and he brought me in to talk to me, and he said, uh, we were getting ready to leave on vacation, and he said, hey, uh, I'm going to give you a book to read. Uh, you're going to laugh at me when I give this to you, but I'm going to give you this book to read while you're on vacation, and then when, I, when you come back from vacation, you need to go ahead and tell me if you want to continue to you know, be the East Pastor here, basically, because... He wasn't quite sure how to deal with the whole depressed pastor thing. Um, And so, which, by the way, if you want to talk more about that, I'm willing to talk more about that later with you individually. Um, But anyway, so he hands me this book by Dr. Phil. And because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to keep my, my job, right? And I wanted to still be the youth pastor there and, um, I said, okay, I'll read it. So I went on vacation, I read it, and then I found actually a good godly book that was better and read it as well. Um, and I read this book, and I was like, I was kind of on board with some of the stuff, and then he started talking about how it was okay to manipulate people as long as it was for their own good, and, 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 I, and that's not. We should not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Someone who, someone or some ideology that comes from somewhere in the world, some worldly place, should not be what we base our lives on. It should not be how we direct ourselves. It should come from the Scripture. It should, our, our way of life should be directed by the Lord, okay? Now, that is, please don't, what I don't want you to hear me say, don't hear me talking down about counseling or anything like that. I'm absolutely not, okay? But what I am saying is, as a believer in Christ, those who are privileged, who are blessed, we should be directed by the word of the Lord, not the counsel of the wicked. Secondly, nor does this guy stand in the way of sinners. The blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners. The righteous ones, the blessed ones, those who have trusted Jesus Christ and follow him, avoid behaving like the wicked. So not only do we avoid the counsel, we avoid thinking like the wicked, the blessed should avoid behaving like the wicked. I know this sounds pretty basic, right? Don't act like a non-Christian, right? If you're a Christian, I have this crazy thing where I think I could be able to expect you to live like a Christian. Now, that doesn't mean that you do everything right and you're always perfect. 
It also means that you repent when you sin, right? It means that we walk in, in forgiveness, that you walk in love. So, uh, but, but what this says is that the blessed ones, they avoid behaving like the wicked. The righteous man's directed by the word of God in both thought, so counsel, and in deed. And he's submitted to the will of God as revealed in the scriptures for how he will live his life. And this is not, he, he doesn't get blessed because he does these things. He's blessed because he's trusted the Lord, and this is how someone who has trusted the Lord and is blessed, that how they live out their life. And we'll get more into that in just a minute. Third, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So not only does he avoid thinking like the wicked and acting like the wicked, but they avoid dealing with the wicked. And what does that mean? Well, I think we have to ask, who are scoffers? Now, if you have a different translation, maybe if you've got the, the New International, uh, it's translated mockers. So it could say scoffers, or it might say mockers in your Bible. But I think if we're supposed to not sit in the seat of these people, we ought to probably should figure out who these people are, right? Um, the term that's used here is translated as scoffers or mockers. It describes an arrogant fool who refuses both discipline and correction. Wait, do you remember that verse we read that talked about the blessed man being disciplined by God, reproved? And so a, a mocker, a scoffer, is someone who actually refuses correction. They shun discipline because they're so arrogant, they think there is no possibility that they may have done something wrong. A scoffer, a mocker, is not a humble person. They're arrogant. Well, there's no possibility I could have done something wrong. They are someone who is refusing to be disciplined or corrected. It kind of reminds me of a story. My youth pastor growing up is a guy named Kurt Anderson. I love Kurt. And uh, still friends with Kurt to this day. And his son, uh, John Jeffrey, when he was like four or five years old, one of the girls from our youth group was over there babysitting him. And uh, uh, Cindy, uh, Kurt's wife, gets a phone call from the babysitter. And uh, all she can hear in the background is she can hear John Jeffrey just crying, wailing in the background. And she hears, you know, Nikki calls her, so that he, she says, hi. And she can hear John Jeffrey in the background saying, I'm sorry, Mom, I didn't do it. He's both apologizing and trying to say he didn't do it. Don't sit in the seat of those who are arrogant, who refuse to be corrected and disciplined. It's hard to deal with those people. They, they refuse it. They refuse it. And oftentimes, it gets to a point, at some point, where it's like we're wasting our time. Okay, that doesn't mean we don't try. And, and I would point you back again to the Sermon on the Mount, talking about casting pearls before swine. We said at some point, you have to move on. Still pray, still love, but at some point you have to move on. But this guy, this blessed man, does not sit in the seat of the arrogant who think they have done nothing wrong, who refuse discipline. So those are three things the blessed man, we find, doesn't do, but, but raises the question, what does the blessed man do, right? What's his life like? What is it characterized by? Well, the verbs here that are used are in a tense to indicate 
that this way of life is a settled way of life. It's not something he's going back and forth on. It's how he's decided to live his life. He's, uh, I'm going to live, this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to sit in the seat of scoffers. I'm not going to uh, think like they think. I'm not going to act like they act. But what does he do? Well, he delights in the law of the Lord. He delights in the law of the Lord. One of my uh, old dead theologians, and you guys know I love the old dead guys, but he said of this passage, God is rightly worshiped only if, we, only if his word is obeyed. Therefore, men are not free to model a religion each after his own idea. The standard for religion must be taken for God's word. What does that mean? That means we don't get to make up like what our church does and what our church is about just by whatever we want it to be about and do. It must come from the word of God. See, God's word is rightly worshipped or excuse me, God is rightly worshipped only when his word is obeyed. So if we do not obey God's word, are we rightly worshipping God? It's like I tell people, look, being a Christian is a follower, being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. It's a worshipper of Jesus. And Jesus as God, God as God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one, has the right to dictate how his creation, those he created, those he has bought by the blood of Christ, he has the right to tell us how we are to worship him. And we submit to his will and his way. So we must worship him. We must live our lives of worshiping him according to what he has said in his word. The same theologian said, but the first thing required of the faithful is delight in the law of the Lord. These these words show us that compulsory or slavish worship is not at all acceptable to God. No going through the motions. No doing it just because I got to do it. Only those who come happily to study to the study of the law, who enjoy its teaching, who think nothing more worthwhile or pleasanter than to make progress in it, are qualified students of the law. Here's, here's what I want you to get from that. The way we deal with the Bible is important. The way we act towards the Bible is important. Warren Wearsby wrote that the way we treat the Bible is the way we treat Jesus Christ, for the Bible is his word to us. The way we treat the Bible is the way we treat Jesus. Well, that's kind of mind-blowing. Well, let's take a look at Scripture, see what it has to say. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the word we're talking about, the word of God, is Jesus. Well, wait, preacher, are you sure? Well, let's look at John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So your disposition towards the Bible will give us a hint as to your disposition towards Jesus. If you think the Bible is boring, what does that say about what you think about Jesus? Now, look, I, please don't, 
don't go too far with it, with it. Understand, like, when you're reading, like, the book of Numbers and it's lists and lists of numbers, I understand, okay? It's not the most engaging read for you. I get it, okay? I understand that. But our general attitude towards the Bible is what we're talking about. Did you know that according to, according to a study by, um, I believe it was a Tom Rainer study, um, it may have been Barna, um, but the number one, the number one uh, indicator of someone's spiritual growth is actually Bible engagement. It's engagement with Scripture. Those who were growing or, or were, were growing deeper and growing more and more mature had a higher correlation of engagement with Scripture than those who did not. So how do you delight in the Word of the Lord? Well, just to be real basic, I think there's delighting in the Lord that's personal. I think, I think at home, it's reading Scripture, um, pondering over it, maybe you're journaling about it, you're praying through Scripture. It's your personal delighting in the Lord. Uh, learning in your personal worship time at home. Some of you call it devotional time, some of you may call it quiet time, but during your personal time. I think there's a delighting in the Lord corporately when we read Scripture together as, as a body of believers. We read in the Old Testament of Ezra standing up and reading the law of the Lord aloud, and people stood up the whole time for hours and hours while this was read. So I, I think there is, there is a corporate time of delighting in the Word of God, gathering together to hear the Word of God proclaimed as you are doing right now. I think there is a delighting in the Lord that you can do within groups. So you're in a small group, maybe men's group, women's group, maybe another Bible study group of some kind that eventually forms. And, and you can delight in the Word of the Lord by studying it and applying it to your life. It is a continual delighting in the Lord will be a result. A con, a delighting in the Word of the Lord will be... Con, excuse me. <laughs> Let's start that over. Delighting in the Word of the Lord will result in a continual growing. You're going to grow in your faith. You're going to be growing in your understanding. You're going to be growing closer to the Lord. And part of doing that is going to be meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. Now, the verbiage here used, uh, used in, the, in the original languages all right, is speaking of a constant practice, a continual practice, someone who keeps on meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. It's continual. It's not a one-time thing, but it's something that is a regular practice. Now, probably just need to point out that when we talk about meditating on the law of the Lord, we're not talking about some kind of mystical, eastern, transcendental meditation kind of thing. All right? There's no oming or uh, putting your hands in positions and sitting cross-legged. All right? There's, that's not what we're talking about. That type of meditation is like clearing your mind out of everything, but meditating on the Word of the Lord is actually putting the Word of God in your mind and focusing on it, okay? The Hebrew word that, that's used here means to murmur or read aloud. The connotation is of pondering over something. So that might look like you read something in Scripture in the morning. Maybe you've journaled it. Maybe you've prayed on it. Maybe you've written it on a note card and put it by your computer monitor on a post-it note, whatever it is during the day. And then later in the day, you call it back to mind, you think on what it means, how it applies to your day, how it applies to your life, and you keep it in the front of your minds, meditating on the word of the Lord. It's not, like we, sometimes we want to make it like some kind of, I don't know, we want it to be a bunch of cosmic mumbo jumbo or something instead of, we're just focusing on the word of the Lord during the day and we're, we're thinking over it. Do you have scriptures that are memorized, even if they're short? Do you have scriptures memorized that you can call 
to mind during the day and think over it and meditate on it, okay? I know, I know when we talk about, like, Scripture memory, and I'm not the greatest at Scripture memory. Most of the Scriptures that I've memorized are because I've just read them a lot, okay? It's not because I focused on memorizing them. That's an area where I am deficient, uh, that I don't focus on that enough, okay? But even if the Scripture that you have memorized is John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept, all right, I know that's the one all the teenagers are like, I know, I, I can memorize that one. Even if it's that, you're sitting at work one day and you think, oh, I, what scripture do I know? Oh, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Well, wow, that shows that Jesus was sad over his friend, even though he knew he was going to raise him. And then you start pondering that and wh- what that means and what that means for how we deal with people. And like, I mean, even that, okay, that, I know that's just a, my little just on the spot illustration, but when you think about it, a lot of you have a, what you call a life verse or whatever. It's your, favorite, it's your favorite scripture, right? Do you have that memorized? Do you sit and ponder over that during the day? Do you think about what you read that morning or the night before or maybe the scripture that was covered in, in the sermon the week before and ponder over that, recall it to mind? My, uh, my old dead guy says, only those inspired by this love can devote themselves to its constant study. Only those who are inspired by that love can devote themselves to its constant study. Only those who've met Jesus, who've believed the gospel that Jesus is God, that he came to earth as a man. They have believed that, that he was 100% God, 100% man, that he gave his perfect and sinless life on the cross in the place of sinners, just like you and me, becoming our substitutionary sacrifice, bearing all the wrath of God that was due to me because of my sin. And when we put our faith, our hope, our trust in him alone for salvation by faith. And we can have forgiveness of sin. We can have eternal life. And then the fact that he was dead for three days in the grave and then rose from the grave by the power of God shows us, number one, he is God. Number two, it proves that the sacrifice worked, that death is defeated, that we can live the life of the blessed man. And what the theologian is saying is that only when you've been captivated by this message, only when the kind of love described in the gospel, that salvation, only when that has captivated your heart, will you be able to truly devote yourself to its constant study. Friends, meditating on the law should result in obedience. When we dwell on the word of the Lord and we allow it to direct us, the result is is a life of obedience to the word of the Lord. All this, and we're only two verses into this passage, folks. The psalmist goes on in verse 3 about the blessed man, says he's like a tree planted by the water. Like a tree planted by the water. He compares this guy, the blessed man, the blessed person, to a tree. It's stable. It's well-nourished. It's fruitful. And it's prosperous. So, what is a tree planted by water? It gets plenty of nourishment, right? If it's a fruit-bearing fruit tree, it's going to yield fruit. It doesn't wither, and it prospers. And I would also just say that, look, when God says prosper, uh, sometimes we get all wonky with that, and we think that means like we're all going to be rich or something like that, and that is not what that means. But he is blessed. 
This person is a blessing to those around him or her. They positively affect those around them. You know, we read in the Sermon on the Mount that you can know a tree by its fruit. Well, this blessed man, a tree, it's planted, it's got plenty of nourishment, it will produce good fruit. What's, what's the most important part of a tree? What's the most important part of a tree? It's the root system, right? It's the roots. These roots grow down deep and draw in nourishment. They also provide stability and anchoring against wind. It helps to hold the tree up as well as help the tree to continue to grow up and to produce fruit. Alexander McLaren said, Religion lacks depth and volume because it's not fed by hidden springs. Religion lacks depth and volume because it's not fed by hidden streams. So in contrast to all of this wonderful, happy, encouraging comments about the blessed man, you also have the wicked who is spoken about. In verse 4, in verse 4 of our passage, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is the husks and the stalks of wheat that's left after the grain is winnowed. Simply blows away and it's gone. In contrast to the stability of the flourishing tree of the righteous, the wicked are described in a way that's fragile and temporary, and they're gone. There's nothing holding them down. There's no root system. They're just dead chaff in the wind. Isaiah 29, 5 says, But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in an instant, suddenly... Oh, I didn't get the rest of that verse. Apologize for that. That's the, I mean, it's the rest of that verse, but it stops in the middle of a sentence. So sorry about that. Let's just go on to Hosea 13.3. That's embarrassing. All right. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. What we can understand from the whole of Scripture is this. There is a coming judgment on the wicked. And our lives will go one way or the other. We'll be the tree planted by water, or we'll be like the chaff that blows away in the wind. And here's the clincher. Apart from Christ, we're all the wicked man. Apart from Jesus, we're all the wicked man. That's where we start out. And if Jesus doesn't intervene in our lives... From the time we're born, if Jesus doesn't intervene, we're just chaff because of our sin. Only in Christ can we be the blessed man. The difference is Jesus. We must recognize the need for Jesus because without Christ, we cannot stand. You know, Psalm 1 begins with blessed and ends with perish. Those who are true believers, followers of Jesus are those who are blessed in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it goes on in, in the following verse. They've received the blessing of God and should be a blessing to others. A tree that has deep roots and produces fruit is a blessing to all those around it, right? People can be fed by its fruit. They can be nourished themselves. It will germinate and cause other trees to be planted. And we should be a blessing even 
So we should be a blessing to those around us, but we should be a blessing even to the chaff that will one day be thrown into the fire. So let's not forget that. This is, this is not about, well, there's, there's good people, there's bad people. That's not what this is about. All right? There is the one who is following the way of the Lord, those who know Jesus, those who are part of God's family, who are a part of the kingdom, who are blessed. And there are those who are wicked and will one day be blown away as chaff. And we need to be a blessing to those around us, including those who are wicked and who are in danger of being blown away. So friends, let's seek to win as many of them as we can and watch them cross the line from wicked to blessed. Just as by the grace of God, we were once called to. If you know Jesus, at one point, you were a sinner. And if you died in your sin, you would incur the eternal wrath of God. But someone shared with you that Jesus took that wrath in your place. And if you trust in him, he'll give you his righteousness, his right standing before God. And you can have forgiveness and spend eternity in heaven. Somebody told you that once. It might have been a pastor, might have been a friend, might have been a mom or a dad. Maybe you just read it in scripture and believed the gospel. But we must do our part to win as many as we can to bring them across that that line from, from death to life. So that brings us to the end, the the time of response. And that's just this. You got to respond in some way to this message, folks. You will respond. I mean, to not respond is to respond, right? When we hear the word of God proclaimed, uh, we're we're called to to some, like, are we going to believe it and obey it? Or are we going to just ignore it, right? Or say, or or flat out say no. There's going to be some kind of response. So how are you going to respond? I would beg you to, number one, be the blessed man. Follow Jesus. The message of the gospel is very clear that we were sinners and Jesus died in our place for our sins. And he rose three days later. If you trust in him, you can have life. You can live this life of delighting in the word of God and growing. Secondly, I'd invite you to make a, a decision today. If you've already a follower of Jesus, make a decision today that you're going to delight yourself in the word of the Lord. Look, that doesn't mean like perfect, okay? There's, I, there's skipped days in my prayer journal, okay? All right? But what it means is that you're going, the direction of your life, the focus of your life is going to be one of delighting in the word of the Lord, to study it, to meditate upon it, to read it. Delight in the word of the Lord. Number three is just delight in the Lord. Worship him personally, privately, and corporately. Obey the things in the word of the Lord, even those that are difficult. If you don't understand something, find help. Ask someone. Ask a brother, sister in Christ. Come talk to me. I'd love to help you with that. Delighting in the Lord Do the things a follower of Jesus does out of a changed heart. Have you ever followed Jesus in baptism? If you trusted in Christ for salvation, uh, then the the next step in obedience, that first step, is to be baptized. So if you've never been baptized, I'd love to talk to you about that. 
Maybe it is that you realize that, you know what, what I need, what I need to do is I need to be uh, accountable to a local group, a, a local group of believers, a church, and you're like, I need to become a member of Hope Bible Fellowship. That might be you. If that's the way the Lord is leading you, then I'd love to talk to you about that as well. Number four, affect others for Christ. Serve others and look for those chances for gospel conversations. Because as we've learned, I mean, we knew that life was short. We knew that life was fragile. But the last 16 months have shown us that in many cases, it was more fragile than many people even knew, right? Okay, whatever you believe about COVID and all that. um, Lots of people have died in the last couple of years, okay? From all sorts of things. But there's a renewed focus by people on the outside even of the fragility of human life. And so will we serve and affect others for Christ? And number five is just this, a challenge to you to, to decide that you will seek and serve uh, and, again, evangelize even the wicked person to have gospel conversations. To serve because we love and to look for opportunities to speak uh, Jesus to people. Let's, um, would you stand with me and pray? I'm going to have the musicians come up. We're going we're gonna to pray and then we're going to worship together. Um, there's a lot going on. It's Father's Day, you know, got to go, go out with dad or go, go grill, whatever. Um, but I don't, want you to, I don't want you to get so caught up in everything else we got going on that you forget that, that we're called to make some kind of uh, response, some choice to the word of the Lord. And so my hope and my prayer is that this time next year, we'd see people who know Jesus then who don't know him now. Uh, because of people within the body of Hope Bible Fellowship saying, I'm going to take this seriously, and I am going to try to see people brought from death to life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this church body. You've blessed me uh, to serve and to lead. God, I just um, God, I just ask that you would focus us in on you. Help us delight in your word. Help us be a people who delight in you. God, who worship on Sundays because we've worshiped during the week uh, by ourselves. We've delighted in you. Help us to meditate on your word. But God, help us to reach out to those who um, truly are, are blowing in the wind and are headed for destruction. And help us, by your grace, to reach out a hand to pull them, uh, to pull them in and share the good news of the gospel with them, Jesus. Help our unbelief where it exists. Help us believe Call us quickly to repentance. Let us be quickly to repent of where we have fallen, where we've sinned, where we've fallen short. Because we know that, God, you're the only way. Jesus, you are our only hope, and without you, we have nothing and are nothing. Give us humble hearts and faithful lives, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.